we want to welcome you back. Those that are watching on Facebook and other venues, thank you so much. Prayerfully, you had a chance to get up and go get a cup of coffee and maybe think about some questions you may have. Um, let me let me just jump right in just because of time constraints. There's no way I can cover everything that's in my heart. You do this as often as I've done it, and there's just so many things you'd like to say. Can I say this, the next thing? There's never enough time, and it's never the right time. But there is an appointed time for us to go be with the Lord. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It's appointed unto every man once to die. I don't know if you've thought about it, but because I'm a pastor and get asked a lot of questions, I've been forced to think about it. Even the people that God raised from the dead, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he died again. It's appointed unto every man once to die. In the scriptures, it talks about uh, Elijah being caught up and the Lord took him. And Enoch, who walked with God and then was not. Those two people were raptured. They didn't actually die a physical death like you and I would have thought of it. But in the Revelations, it talks about two prophets that come to this earth and then they are killed. I believe those two prophets are Enoch and Elijah because it's appointed unto every man once to die. So the way I've been able to, to help people at least get from the theological viewpoint of this is just to say, we all have an expiration date, all of us. And you can add to your days or you can take away from your days. That's, that's why it isn't, it isn't like God says on August the 6th, it's your time. Um, we can, the scripture says in Ephesians that if we'll obey our parents, things will go well with us and we'll live longer. Disobedience creates people dying early. You can smoke and drink and do drugs and you can shorten your life or you can eat healthy and believe God's word and, and extend your life. But we're all going to die. And in that time, it's not going to be the right time. Nobody ever says, man, I'm glad it was today. Nobody. There's never a right time and there's never enough time. But I want to be really, really honest and transparent. The more I go through this, the more I realize we spend way too much time thinking about our loss instead of thinking about their gain. They, they don't have any suffering. They don't have crooked politicians. They don't have re-votes. Oh, I'm not sure you're supposed to be here. Let's re recount the vote. <laughs> if you made it to heaven, you're in heaven. And let's just say uh, a father died. He was 90 years old, and you know because you're you're one of his children. Let's say you knew him, really knew him. You didn't really know who he was when you were six months old or whatever. Let's just say he died at 90 for sake of conversation. You knew him for for 85 years or 90 years. How hard is that? How much pain is involved with knowing somebody for 90 years and then they're gone? What would happen if you knew that person for 500 years? See, it's almost a blessing that we don't, because we have all these memories at 80 and 90 years of knowing somebody. How, how many more memories and encounters and things would we have if they lived to be 100 or 200 or 500 years old? So there's never enough time, and it's never the right time. There's just an appointed time. We all have 
an expiration date. But can I say to you, what that has done for me to realize that I'm mortal has caused me to live life fuller. And it should you as well. I often say at a funeral, this is tragic, what happened to this person or whatever it was. But what would be more tragic is if you walked away from this funeral not changed by it. If you didn't love life more, if you didn't value the life you'd been given more, if you didn't love your children more, then that's a greater tragedy than this loss. Because a part of losing someone is supposed to remind us that you and I are mortal. Our time is limited. I've made it a habit, and my family's begun to expect it. After I do a funeral, I call my children and say, I just wanted you to know I love you. I just wanted you to know I was thinking about you today, and I'm so glad that I have you in my life. Because what loss has done for me is realized that people go to their grave with all kinds of regrets, and I don't want to be one of those people. Bronnie Ware wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And she was a caretaker for people in their last days of being on this planet. And some of them it was three days, some of them it was three months. But she kept hearing the same regrets over and over and over again. And so she wrote this book, The Five Regrets of the, of the Dying. And they, the number one regret was that they didn't stay close to family and friends. A regret that they had was they wished they hadn't worked so hard. You know, nobody goes to their grave going, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. It just doesn't happen. The regrets we have are relational. So they wish they hadn't worked so hard. Another regret they had was they wish they didn't, they, they'd have just enjoyed life. They'd have slowed down and enjoyed the laughter of their children or even the bickering of a brother and sister. You know, I keep telling my grandkids when I see them going through stuff and they're mad at one another, it's like, look, life's too short. Don't do that. If, that. if that sister was gone, you would truly, truly miss her. So one of the things that should happen for us as we face the loss of family, friends, is that we should learn to love life more. We should learn to enjoy. You know, <clears throat> I hear people complain to me about their teenage son or daughter. They want to paint their hair pink. I'm like, let them paint their hair pink. Take a picture. You can blackmail them when they want to get married. Okay, your, your child's making some stupid mistakes. They're doing stuff you don't want. I always tell them, I would love to have that disagreement with my child. You know, my son's in heaven now, but I would love to have that particular discussion with them. We don't, we don't see things eternally. We see things too short-minded. So we all have an appointed time. There's never enough time. It's never the right time, but there is an appointed time. And my prayer is that we would learn to truly enjoy life. I'm, I'm not a country fan, and all of my friends are country fans. And there's a song uh, by a man called Live Life Like You Were Dying. It's a great song. Because basically what he's saying is, it took realizing he was mortal for him to really enjoy each day. And I think we need to take the key from that, that life is short. Don't go to your grave with regrets. Don't be one of those people that I wish I would have. Go do it. Tell your family you love them. 
Get over the penny any stuff because life is too short to let it separate you. Enjoy the day. I know it's raining. Go out and enjoy getting wet. I, I know it's not sunshiny, but it, it's still a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My heart would be that even in loss, that we would walk away and realize every day is a gift. You know, the reason people have regrets is because they always thought, I'll make that right tomorrow. I'll tell them I'm sorry next time I see them. I'll make that right at the next family reunion. And oftentimes, that doesn't happen. I had a man in my office, it's been, I'm terrible at time, it's been five or six years ago now, but he had literally become a recluse. Paid for food through his door, wouldn't go to church, wouldn't go to work, wouldn't meet with his family, literally became a recluse after his wife died. And they brought him in to see me because they thought, we're going to show up one time and he's going to have been with the Lord for three days and we won't even have known it. We need some help. So they brought him to see me and I found out that his wife had passed. And what I found out through talking to him is that they'd had an argument before she passed. She was killed in a car wreck. And they'd had an argument, and he thought, I need to tell her I'm sorry before she goes to the store. But he thought, I'll tell her when she gets back. And she was killed in a car wreck on the way back. And he had the regret of not being able to tell her I'm sorry. And it was eating him up to a place where he was just becoming a recluse. And you know, God is so good, and the Holy Spirit so, so beautiful. I felt this encouragement of the Lord to ask him some questions. So I asked him, I said, so... Had you guys ever had any arguments before? He said, oh, yeah. I said, how'd you handle those? He said, we never went to bed angry. He said, we made it a habit to say I'm sorry before we went to bed. I said, so the only thing that happened was you guys got cheated out of what you would normally do. And I watched the wheels turn. He'd never thought about that, that if she'd have came back, they would have said I'm sorry to one another. They would have made it right. And so he began to soften. I began to see the Holy Spirit work. And then I heard this question. I said, do you think she's in heaven angry at you? He never thought about it. I said, first off, do you think she's in heaven? Yeah, she's in heaven. She was a Christian. Well, do you think she's in heaven mad? Well, no. Okay. And I watched the Spirit of God come on that man and him get set free. He's back in church. He's back at his job. He's back with his family. It was an awesome thing. Thank you. But it was because I need people to see every day's a gift. I walked away from that counseling session changed because I realized we wait way too long to make things right because we think we're always going to have tomorrow. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow, beloved. We're not guaranteed the next hour. We're not guaranteed the next minute. I want my family and friends to know I love them while I can still tell them. I want to enjoy each day no matter what it brings because it's a gift. And so there's never enough time, never the right time, but there is an appointed time. Next thing. Don't let what you don't understand affect what you do understand. Only in the Christian realm do we do this. Only in Christianity do we let what we don't understand, some situation, some prayer we prayed that didn't get answered the way we thought it should have been answered, only in Christianity do we go, you can't trust God, I don't understand that, I'm giving up. How many of you girls, I'm going to pick on the girls, how many of you girls came in a vehicle today? 
mean, nobody ever drove a horse, right? Have you, what, what makes that vehicle work? Gas, okay, that's a good start. Most women say the key. That's what they know about a vehicle. The key makes it work. You know, if women understood, thousands of explosions make that vehicle work. It's like, I'm not driving home. I'm going to get that horse. Women do not understand gas and air and a piston and compressed air and gas and a spark sends an explosion that pushes the piston down that turns the crank that makes the engine run, that makes the transmission. But you use that vehicle every day not having any understanding about what makes it work. How many of you have a phone, an iPhone? How many of you have an Android? Oh, I'll get you saved here. I don't know the difference. I'm just teasing. I wouldn't have a clue. What makes that iPhone work? What makes that Android work? I mean, you can take pictures with it. You can take videos with it. You, you can. What makes it work? We don't know what makes that phone work, and we use it every day. You know what we think makes it work? Push the button. We don't let what we don't understand about that phone keep us from using it. Has anybody used a microwave in the last week or so? What makes the microwave work? It's in the title. Microwaves. They, they send protons and neutrons back and forth across that coffee and across that meat or whatever, and it creates a friction that heats it up that cooks your, your meal. We don't let what we don't understand in any other realm affect what we do understand except in Christianity. We know God is good. We believe God is good. But as soon as something happens that we don't understand, we throw in the towel on God. We give up on His Word. Can't trust the Word. Not knowing what's going on behind the scenes. Not knowing what God is actually doing in the process of things. Don't let what you don't understand affect what you do understand. Can I tell you the simplicity of really believing God is good, the devil is bad, will change your whole life. If you can just rest on those two principles. But we don't. The enemy talks us into believing that somehow God is mad at us, God is angry at us. God answers Pastor Lee's prayers, but he doesn't answer mine. On and on the, the lies go. Don't let what you don't understand affect what you do understand. Set it on a shelf. There will be understanding later. It may take for you to see God face to face before that understanding comes, but trust his character, trust his nature, trust his word. When it doesn't make sense, trust who God is, that God is love and that God is for you and that God will never leave you or forsake you, that the only reason you're making it is because he's helping you walk it out. Amen. Amen. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again because it's so new for most people. God didn't take your loved ones, but he did receive them. And there is a vast, vast difference between somebody taking something from you and somebody receiving something from you. If I took money from you, that would be bad and wrong, and you have every right to be upset. But if I received money from you, that's a whole different whole different venue, a whole different story. Again, for God to take something means he has need, and God has no need. So God didn't take your loved one, but he does 
receive them. He does welcome them into his presence. And for that, I am grateful. And most people just don't have that understanding. Again, what we've been told by preachers is God took them because he needed them in heaven. But God doesn't, God doesn't take. God is in the business of receiving. God gives life. He doesn't take. Most people do not understand, and many Christians do not serve a God who is the supplier. They serve a God who is the demander, and that's why they struggle in their Christian life. But everything God has asked you to do, he supplies you the ability to do it. God tells you to love unconditionally, to love like he loves. But then he says that it's the Holy Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in our heart. He gives us the ability to love. Therefore, he can ask us to love. So God is not in the business of taking. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes that we might have life, and that life more abundantly. But we have to choose that. We have to believe that. This is probably the hardest thing that you're going to hear today. The hardest thing there is for people to receive, and it's because they've never been taught it. It's because nobody's ever shared this with them, and that's that it is possible to believe God for a particular thing, not receive it, and still be a person of of faith. If you're taking notes, it's in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter by faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. We call it the heroes of faith, the chapter there, heroes of faith. And the Bible says, by faith they subdued kingdoms. By faith they wrought righteousness. By faith they escaped the edge of the sword. By faith women had their loved ones raised to life again. And we go, yes and amen, but we stop there. It goes on to say, and still others wandered about in sheepskins, destitute, were sawn in half. He ends the chapter with all of these received a good report of faith, not having received the promise. Most people have never been taught that it's possible for you to believe for something in this life and not receive it, and yet you still be walking in faith. We have limited faith to, I'm believing God for a pair of glasses, and so you get a pair of glasses, and we say, you had faith. It is possible to believe for a pair of glasses your whole life and not receive glasses and hear the Lord say to you, when you die, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you walked in faith. It says, these all, those who escaped the edge of the sword and those who were slain by the sword, He says, these all died, not having received the promise. We've limited faith to getting what we want instead of faith being, I'm going to trust God even when I don't see it. And let me give you two examples. There's lots of them, but let me give you two examples, one Old Testament, one New Testament, of people who believed God for what God said to them but never saw it. In the Old Testament, Abraham was told by God, your children are going to be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. But he died not having seen that. Now, he had lots of children, but he didn't have that many. He died not having seen that. 
But it came to pass even after he died. Jesus had a prayer that has still not been answered. And how many of you know Jesus is going to get his prayer answered? If anybody's going to get their prayers answered, Jesus is going to get his prayers answered. And Jesus prayed that you and I, the body of Christ, would be one, even as he and the Father are one. Now, can I get you to be honest? Are, are we really one? Do the Baptists and the Charismatics believe and agree, and are they one? You're, the truth is, you're not even one with yourself five years from now. You're going to disagree with what you used to believe. Yet, that prayer is going to be answered. We are going to be one. So it is possible to believe for them to be healed and them not get healed, but hear the Lord say at the end of your time, thank you for walking in faith. Can I ask you something? Which is harder, to believe and receive or to believe and not receive? It's not a trick question. Let me go ahead and answer it. It's harder to believe and walk in faith when you didn't receive what you were believing for. Once you've believed for something and you get it, you don't need to have faith anymore. But when you walk in faith, even when you don't see it, you walk in a greater understanding of faith. I may share this later, but I'm going to share it right now so that I don't forget. The Bible says that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have done my race. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, we've been taught well, if you come to victory, that a good fight is one you win. But we've equated that to getting what we believed for as winning. But that's not the case. You want to know how you know you've won a faith battle? Is when you've kept your faith no matter what the circumstances. When you believed and didn't receive, but you still had faith that God is good. When you believed for glasses and you didn't get them, but you believed the whole time anyway, and you kept your faith in God, that's how you win. Paul said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. He had lots of opportunities to give up on God. He had lots of opportunities to get mad at God. I didn't sign up for this. Paul went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and he was stoned to death. And I'm not talking stoned. Real stones. He was stoned, left him for dead. He was shipwrecked in the water three days. He had get bit by a poisonous snake. Everybody expected him to die, but he didn't. But he kept his faith in God. He said, I've, I've run my race. My race is not your race. Your race is not my race. You have to run your race. You have to endure what you're going to go through. I have to endure what I'm going through. But the goal is to keep your faith, to trust God even when it doesn't look right, even when it doesn't feel right, even when you didn't get what you were believing for. These all died not having received the promise. Now, there are some people who teach God always, will always, always answer your prayer with a yes. God does always answer our prayers, but sometimes that answer is not yes. Sometimes that answer is no or not now. And a lot of faith people have a hard time with this. 
We have to go back to there's an appointed time for us to die. You could pray for your loved one every time, but eventually something's going to happen and they're going, their ticker's going to quit ticking. They're going to go home to be with the Lord no matter how much faith you have. So your faith has to be in something more than just getting what you want or God just becomes your servant instead of the sovereign God. These all died not having received the promise. And it doesn't even matter what the promise is. Whatever that promise that they were believing for, they didn't receive it, but the Bible says they had a good report of faith, meaning they believed God even unto death when not seeing what they were believing for. Most people struggle with that really, really bad because we have a gospel that's been taught to us that God wants us to have everything we've ever wanted, that God wants us to be happy more than God wants us to be holy. I'll let that be. That sounded a little hard. I didn't mean it to sound hard. 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 7, that's where he said we've got to fight the good fight of faith. And the good fight is the fight that we believe even when we don't, even when we don't see. Next point. Knowing why won't help you. It's probably the number one question I get asked at every single funeral I've ever done. Why? It's either, why did God take them? Why did this happen? Why now? Why, why, why? And I just have to tell you, beloved, why, even if you knew why, it will not help you. We are convinced somehow that if we knew why, it would ease the pain, it would make it better. It never does. Knowing why will not help you. And can I be as so bold as to say, we actually know why most of the time. When my son's best friend died, he died of a brain aneurysm. The doctors were able to tell the mom, this is why he died. He had a brain aneurysm. Did you know that answer didn't help her at all? I literally was involved in a situation where a man said to me, why did my niece die? And the truth of the matter is, she misjudged the oncoming traffic. She was pulling out onto an expressway where people are doing 70 and 75 miles an hour, and she misjudged her ability to get across. She was hit from the side and was killed instantly. So I could tell him she made a bad judgment. She should have waited. But that answer won't help him one bit. It won't help you either. Let me tell you a short story. Young boy was swinging in a swing. Did what boys do. He wanted to see how far he could jump. It was early morning. There was still dew on the grass. When he jumped out of the swing, he hit the grass and his feet slid off from underneath him and he landed on his arm and he broke his arm right there. He's crying. He asked his mom, Mom, why does my arm hurt? She said, you broke your arm. Did you know that answer? Didn't help him. He didn't need the answer. You don't either. What he needed was time for his arm to be healed. He needed his arm fixed. They literally had to go in and fix and, you know, put the bone back in place. And then time for it to set and be healed. We think we need the answer, but what we really need 
is to allow God to heal our hearts. And the time it takes to truly get healed through that, the answer actually won't help us one bit. Here's another reason we die. Romans 5.12 says, Sin entered into the world and death through sin. So if somebody asked me, why did they die? And I say, well, because of sin, not his, just sin in the world. Is that going to make everything okay? Is that going to take away the tears? Is that going to change the situation? No, it will not. See, we think we need to know why, but knowing why doesn't actually help us. We die for lots of reasons. We die because of sin. We die because of ignorance. You know, there are people in India who are dying of starvation with cows walking by them every day because they believe that cow is holy or might be an aunt or an uncle reborn. An electrician grabs something that he thinks is off and the electricity kills him. Ignorance killed him. It wasn't rebellion, just ignorance. We, We die because of ignorance. We die because of choices that we make and choices that other people make. The drunk driver who takes a life, including his own, his choice, not even the choice of the person he hit, choices are why we die. So none of those answers help. Did anybody here think, oh, thank you, Pastor Lee, that helped me. Well, I'm, I'm okay now. No, no, no. Knowing why won't help. We don't need to know why. We need the Lord to heal our hearts and to help us through. Next thing. We, we are way too temporal-minded. And we're the people of God. We should have an eternal perspective of things, and we don't. We're so wrapped up in how we feel right now, we can't even look for the hope that's set before us. And yet the Scripture says that we're supposed to encourage one another that in the end, in the time when Jesus comes back, those who have already died, we that are alive are going to meet them in the air and forever be with them. He says to encourage one another with those words. That's an eternal perspective. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 It says, we overcame him. That's the devil. We overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and loving not our life even unto death. Now, I know I'm really old, and I guess DVR is not the thing anymore. I I I do not know. But I still have DVR, and I love my DVR, because I can... uh, record the OU game or the whatever and come back and watch it later. And you know, if I know my team won, I can watch the game and not even get excited when they fumble the ball. I don't even get mad at the quarterback when he throws it to the wrong person because I know in the end I win, right? <clears throat> There's a beauty to knowing the end if, if you're one of those emotional people. If you know you win, you can watch it and stay calm. I watch people lose their Christianity over an OU game. It blows my mind. I mean, they're screaming and hollering. and just. But I love my DVR because I know my team won. I'll go back and watch it. And when they do stupid things, when they fumble the ball, when they, when they look like high schoolers playing you know, professional team, I don't, even, I don't even get rattled. I just keep eating my sandwich and 
Because I know we're going to win. Revelation 12, 11 is God's DVR. He said, this is how you did. It's a prophetic word that said, this is how you overcame the devil in this world. Three things. You got to be saved. They, they, by the blood of the lamb. If you want to defeat the devil, you have to be born again. You're not going to defeat the devil in your own flesh. You can't punch the devil. You can't karate chop the devil. You can't judo punch. You can't bazooka the devil. He's a spirit. So you have to be born again by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you know what's going to change our world? It isn't Biden or Trump. What's going to change our world is you sharing your testimony. What God has done for you, what God is doing in you, what God is doing through you, how God is helping you now. The word of their testimony. It doesn't even matter what your testimony is. Your testimony isn't my testimony. People need to hear what God did for you, what God is doing for you. I was an alcoholic and a drug addict before I came to the Lord. And God healed my marriage and healed my life and everything changed. That's my testimony. I don't know what your testimony is. The man that led me to the Lord had a son who'd never been to a movie, never drank, never smoked, never dated. He married the girl that he eventually courted. And he said to me one day, I wish I had a testimony. And I'm thinking to myself, I would give anything to have that testimony versus the testimony that I have. Somehow, we've come to this place in the Christian realm where the deepest, darkest your testimony can be, the better it is. But a testimony is a testimony. I said, dude, you need to share your testimony that you were in need of, that you came to a place, having been in church your whole life, your dad being a pastor, that you came to a place of realizing, I need Jesus. So he started sharing his testimony. And he had people come up to him going, thank you, because I, that's my testimony. I didn't think I had anything to share. What God has done in your life is how we overcome the devil. People need to know you can overcome drugs and alcohol. People know, need to know God can save your marriage. People need to know there's a life outside of whatever they're living in right now. So, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and they love not their life. If you're taking notes, would you underline their life? And they love not their life, even unto death. Can I, can I be as so bold as to say, we love our life way too much. We love our comfort more than we love the cross. We love our temporal joys more than we love the joy of the Lord that lasts forever. Part of the way we overcome the Lamb is by loving the life that God has for us over the life that we have for ourselves. Beloved, whatever life you have chosen for yourself, God's choice for you is far better. Far better. Whatever you think you want so bad, may not be what God has for you. And I promise you, what God has for you is better than anything you could choose for yourself. But we are just too temporal-minded. We're thinking about today, and we're not thinking about eternity. Do I miss my children who have gone on to be with the Lord? Absolutely. But I'm going to spend eternity with them, and I know that. And that helps me get through each day. If you live to be another hundred years older than you are right now, which none of you will, 
You know, all the people who are, are believing for 120, bless your heart. Do you know anybody that made it? <clears throat> That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. So somewhere between now and 120 years, we're going to re- reach our expiration date. And I miss my children. I've, you do as many funerals as I do. I've got lots of friends, good friends that I've known for years and years. 20, 25, 30 years, some of them. And they're in heaven waiting on me. Do I miss them? Absolutely. Would I want them back if they could come back? Absolutely. But I know something most people don't ever think about. If I lived another hundred years compared to eternity, it's a blink of an eye. And so I have great hope that when my life is over, I'm in no hurry, by the way. I'm ready. I'm just not in a hurry. When I close my eyes for the last time, I will be with all my loved ones for the rest of eternity. We need to have an eternal mindset. We need to get past this temporal pain and this temporal joy and start looking at life as Christians do. Here, I'm going to say this out so that you can write it down. We spend way too much time thinking about what we've lost and not near enough time thinking about what they have gained. They have gained everything you and I are striving for as Christians. Everything that we are living for, they've already attained, and it's theirs. They're in a place where there's no more stress, no more struggles, no more pain, no more problems, no more fighting temptations. We need to spend a little more time being grateful and thankful that we're going to see them again and that they have gained all the things that we are striving for. I think I can do one more quickly. It's a process, not a program. Write it down. We'll walk it out. It's a process. Loss and grief is a process. And nobody does it exactly the same as another person. Your process is your process, but it is a process. And you have to be willing to go through it. You're not going to wake up one day, no matter how hard you pray and fast, no matter how many people are praying for you and fasting, you're not going to wake up one day and go, okay, I'm back to normal. Life's good. I'm going to go on. It's a process. You will get better. You will go on. Life will be enjoyable again. I know you can't, many of you can't even fathom that right now. That's like step 32 and you're on step two. I get that. But there is life after loss. And you need to be willing to go through the process. I'm giving you permission because the world will not, beloved. I am telling you, it's not right, it's not fair, it's unjust, but it is life. People will want you to very, very quickly get back to normal. They want you back at work doing your job. They don't want you crying while you're sitting in your chair. They don't want you depressed. They want you smiling and happy because they feel uncomfortable being around you. Now, I know none of you will admit this, but do you ever feel a little uncomfortable being around somebody that's missing a leg or an arm? You go to offer them something, and then you realize they can't shake your right hand because their right arm is missing. 
It's uncomfortable. Our world does not know how to deal with it. We don't know how to process it well. And because nobody talks about it, everybody goes through it again and again and again, which is why I'm trying to turn the Titanic around. Somebody needs to speak into this. It's a process. And you need to let yourself off the hook that because you're struggling with your faith, that doesn't make you a bad Christian. Because you're struggling with God's goodness does not make you a bad person. Because you have days when you still don't want to get up. Because you have times when you still try are trying to figure it out and reason it out and nothing makes sense. Because there are times when you are laughing and then you feel bad about laughing. Man, the enemy is so clever. If somebody comes to you and actually makes you laugh, you feel bad about laughing because somehow the enemy has convinced you for you to enjoy life takes away from this person you have lost and somehow you're disrespecting them because you're actually enjoying life. But can I say to you, beloved, life will always overcome death just like light will always overcome darkness. When I turn the light on in my office, There is no ball of darkness that says, I ain't leaving. I'm going to stay here because I'm so powerful. No, when I turned the light in my office, the darkness went away because light is more powerful than darkness. When Mount St. Helens blew up, scientists were saying immediately, life will never come back to this mountain. And within years, life began to manifest again. There is now life on the ground. There's life in the water. Life is more powerful than death. It is why the enemy tries to keep you in the darkness and keep you thinking about the death and the loss because he traffics in darkness. He doesn't want you to laugh because laughter doeth good like a medicine. Can I ask you something? It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to ask you, did your loved one want you to enjoy life? Did your loved one take you places where you could laugh and enjoy life together? Did your loved one make you laugh? You know, one of the things I miss about Michael the most in the process, and I have a daughter and a son-in-law and a mom that have gone on to be with the Lord. I've got a lot of loss. But one of the things I miss about Michael the most is how he made me laugh. That kid was funny, even when he was trying not to be funny. But because he made me laugh and he knew it, I don't mind laughing because that would have been what he wanted. Your loved one is not up in heaven going, boy, I sure hope you're miserable the rest of your life. Your loved one wanted you to enjoy life. That's why they took you places. That's why they made you laugh. That's why they poked you. That's why they ribbed you. That's why they made fun of you, whether you realize it or not. So it's a process, and it is okay to go through the process. Give yourself permission to not let the world tell you how they think you should respond when they think it's long enough. C.S. Lewis said again, I didn't know that losing my wife was going to make me an embarrassment to my friends. Your friends are embarrassed at you crying at the coffee break table. It embarrasses them. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do, so they will quietly leave. Can I tell you, help them learn how to treat you. I'm five foot seven. 
weigh about 185, 90 pounds, depending on if I've eaten or not, I guess. And yet, I've had people tell me I intimidate them. Now, if I was 6'9", weighed 280, had arms the size of my leg, I guess I could understand that. But I intimidate people because I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I won't let people treat me like I'm a wicked stepkid. I won't let people treat me like I'm some stray dog. I respect them. I expect them to respect me. And I've had to teach people how to treat me. Whether you realize it or not, you are teaching people every day how to treat you. If you let them get away with abusing you, they'll abuse you. If you let them get away with treating you poorly, they will treat you poorly. And so there's no different in this loss and in grieving. You're going to have to teach people how to treat you. That it is okay for them to talk or to not talk. And you need to tell them, I want to talk about this today. Or can we do this today? Because they don't know what to do. And if you're one of those people trying to help somebody, don't ask them every time, what can I do for you? They're probably not going to tell you even if they know. And most of the time, they don't know. They're in a state of like just existing. Do something for them. Instead of saying, what can I do for you? Say to them, I'm going to call you next week and we're going to go out to eat. Here's, what I'm, here's $100. I know it's not much, but it will help. Be proactive. Tell them what you're going to do for them rather than waiting for them to tell you what they need. Because can you imagine what would happen if you asked somebody, hey, what can I do for you? I need money. That doesn't even sound right. So they're not going to ask. They're not going to tell you as a whole, I need my lawn mowed. I need the dishes done. So be proactive. And let yourself go through the process and let them go through the process. Jeremy? Does anybody have any questions or thoughts? Not just a, it's not just a question time, but maybe you have a thought that you would like to bring up right now. I'm always nervous giving Michael the mic. I don't know. No, it's good. You're all right. You're good. Um, so, with me having a long history and an ongoing uh, problem with fear of things happening, worry down to like, you know, that gas station doesn't have enough gas for me. Okay. Um, so, with, I guess you could call it uh, PTSD of some sort, like, okay. um, of those things. Um, I was very fearful that she's going to have sickness. 
you bet. And uh, it wasn't until Dwayne came out and uh, spoke with us and told us to claim those things. Amen. And, uh, that's what I did. And she's perfect. So good. What, what can you tackle? Uh, personally, I think we ought to receive an offering for you. That's a great message. Um, I, th- I think you did a great. I think you did a great job. Um, there's there's so much to that. We know where God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but fear is real, just like our emotions. And there's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. That's why it's trying to be taken out of school, out of our court systems. You proclaim the Word of God; it has the ability to give you hope in a time when you feel hopeless. The, the other side, and I'm, man, please hear my heart. We're all afraid of losing a loved one, but we're eventually going to lose a loved one. Our dad, our mom, our, our friends, our grandparents, they're going to go home to be with Jesus. I had a lady in my office who literally was a basket case because of fear, and so I got right down to the brass tacks. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid my car is going to break down on me one day. And I asked her, well, is your car making noise? No. Did a mechanic tell you it was about to go kaplunk? She said, no. I just know one day it's going to go kaplunk. And she was literally wearing herself up by thinking the whole time. You know, I read a book, and it said in that book, I can't remember what the name of the book was now, that 97% of the things we fear coming to pass never come to pass. And the other 3%, we couldn't have done anything about anyway. So the enemy is continually trying to get us in a fear mode. If I I could say anything good about the devil, he is a persistent cuss. He will keep coming and he will keep coming. But if you'll speak the word of God, if you'll trust in the character and nature of God, you will begin to overcome that fear with the faith statements. That's what faith is all about. And I... Man, thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness to be open because as we speak God's word, we feel like hypocrites because we're speaking the word and all the whole time we're afraid. But that's the battle. That's that's where the battle is at. See, part of fearing is knowing you're trying to walk in faith. You're understanding this is not what God wants for me. This doesn't help me. Can I tell you? Fear gives you ulcers, heartburn, and premature grain. There's no positive in fear. Now, this gray came from pastoring. It is not premature. I earned every, every one of them. So the enemy knows if he can get you to doubting God's word, he's on the uphill, he's winning. If he can get you to believing the lies of the fear statements, We're supposed to proclaim the word of God. When Jesus was attacked, that's what he used. And if Jesus, as a human on this planet, used the word of God to overcome, we we, we need to take notice. He spoke the word, it is written. When we are faced with fears, we need to speak the word, because when we speak the word, things change. 
Life and death are in the power of our tongue. And so it's okay to say, I'm afraid, but here's what the Word of God says. And as you begin to proclaim the Word of God, you'll find yourself feeling better. I I wrote a book called Thought to Thought, and the reason I wrote the book is because people try to change outside things. They try to change their action. They try to change their lifestyle. They try to change their belief system. And none of those things will last if you don't first change what you're thinking on. Because what you're thinking on eventually leads to what you believe. And what you believe leads to an action. If I said to you, by the way, you've got nice looking hair. I would give anything to have hair like that again. I used to have hair like that. If I said to you, your hair's on fire, I can tell you right now, you do not believe that. Or you would be trying to put it out. Because what you believe leads to an action. So the enemy can create a thought, but we choose whether we believe that or not. We choose whether we're going to act on that or not. So speaking the word is the most powerful thing you can do. And being honest with yourself that, well, I've had this fear in the past, but it wasn't true. Eventually, you'll come to the place of realizing that's a lie. And when I have that thought, I'm going to go ahead and stop because the enemy is a liar. The truth isn't in him. If the enemy tells you um, anything, he's lying. Do the opposite. And I've learned this in marriage. When the enemy tells me, don't talk to your wife, I say to her, honey, we need to go out tonight and we need to talk. Because he doesn't know the truth. And what I hear in the spirit realm is, yay, yay, yay. If he tells me I'm not going to get that thing, I know I'm going to get it. So I go with it gangbusters. So when we change our thought life to thinking the way God wants us to think, those fears are overcome with faith. And we need to continue to fight because he's not going to go away. He's persistent. All right, let's take a quick break, grab some coffee. Pastor Lee does have his uh, book table out there. So please go out there and look at what he's got. And uh, we'll see you in just a few minutes.